In the last episode of Golden Girls Podcast, episode 66, I had the honor of interviewing Aditya J. Kumar, certified breathwork practitioner and host of one of the top spiritual podcasts in the world, My Seven Chakras. Aditya is all about bringing ancient wisdom to the world for the modern mind and today for all of us Golden Girls podcast listeners. In our first episode together, the last one, number 66, we talk about getting into the state of flow, flow versus presence, the role our nervous systems play in our life, and why it matters so much. We also talk about how to bring bliss and playfulness into our life every day. So if you haven't listened yet, make sure you go back and check that out. In this episode, we dive into a variety of healing modalities and creating natural altered states of consciousness. You're going to learn to do things, uh, how to do this, how to create these altered states of consciousness from breathwork, flotation, the science and the power behind brief intermittent hypoxia, aka holding your breath. You're also going to hear about the power of yawning and not just be told that it's rude. Thank you, Aditya, for that. And about the ancient practice of Qigong. Aditya also spoke candidly about the recent resurgence in the interest in these ancient practices, the real cultural appropriation, and cultural distancing that has happened, and the importance of respectful, conscious use of these practices. There's a lot of deep conversations and thoughts weaved in throughout, and we really hope that you enjoy this episode. There's such a collective desire right now for each of us personally and uh, as a community, as a society, to move away from the negative things like the anxiety, the burnout, the grief, the, the creative blocks, and create more of those really beautiful things in life, the creativity, vision, bliss, purpose, joy that we all want. And I believe that now's the time to really talk about and tap into more simple, holistic ways of doing this. So I know you're going to love the ideas that we talk about in this episode, and I invite you to not worry about implementing everything, but really think about what's one or two things that you can really give it a try. In this episode, Aditya is exploring and sharing wisdom on some of the best modalities out there to create flow, to reduce anxiety, and create more creativity, fulfillment, and bliss in your life. You're going to learn how to calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and have more bliss in your life. And I think we're all ready for that. If you haven't already, make sure you go back and listen to the last episode to get that foundation of where we're going uh, and understand the flow and consciousness and where we're going. Um, and in this episode, get ready. You're going to walk away with simple, practical, proven, evidence-based techniques and methods to improve the quality of your life and notice a paradigm shift in how you look at and live your life. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Golden Girls Podcast, where we believe you can have it all. I'm your host, Lisa Michaud, and I'm spilling tangible tips, goal-getting strategies, and real-life stories to inspire you to tackle your biggest dreams. You're a woman who knows you're made for more. Get ready to leave the excuses and self-doubt behind by being vulnerable, sharing your truth, and having honest conversations so you can succeed on your terms. Together, we'll set goals you'll actually achieve by staying motivated, having fun, and building a community of women empowering women. It's time to tap into your best self, get confident, and truly have it all. Golden Girl, let's dive in. Welcome back. I'm so grateful to be here with Aditya again. Aditya, thank you for being here for another episode of our podcast. You're very welcome, Lisa. It's a lot of fun so far. 
<laughs> oh, good. Well, well, we'll keep the fun going. Yeah. So if you're just tuning in right now, make sure you go back and listen to the last episode where Aditya broke down for us the difference between flow and presence. We talked about how having flow can help you access your intuition, help you to access more creativity, productivity, joy, calm, creativity, all these wonderful things. Um, and we also talked about how our nervous systems in the modern world right now are really for lack of a better way to say it, are really taking a beating. They're really struggling to keep up um, and we need to rebalance that in order to really, truly thrive as humans uh, no matter what your definition of success is, no matter what your goal, no matter what it is that you want, uh, we believe that you deserve to thrive. So go back and listen to that episode first. Uh, and in this episode, we're breaking down some of the different modalities on how we can actually create more flow, on how we can create more uh, presence, playfulness, calm, and calm our nervous system. And we're going to wrap it up with a couple spiritual questions as well. So let's go right to your, I believe this is your kind of biggest area of expertise, but please correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but breath work. And is that right? Is that kind of your biggest piece here, Aditya? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So one of the things I really love about you and, and your podcast, My Seven Chakras, and we're going to link to that to so make sure you go listen to that, is that you really do look at how do we bring um, Eastern wisdom and methods to the modern world. I probably just butchered your slogan. <laughs> um, but breathwork is one of the ways that you do that. So talk to me, talk to us about breathwork. What's the science behind it? What I mean, is it just breathing? Because like, I feel like we, need, we do that anyways. But what's the difference between the breathing we're doing, I'm doing right now versus conscious breath work that you teach and this healing modality. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you rightly put, you're breathing right now. And if we don't breathe, we don't live, right? Uh, you know, we can go for, I don't know how many days, I think maybe 20 days without food. Uh, we can go for for a number of days without water even. We're still going to be good. But if we, or if an average person, somebody pinches your nose and doesn't allow you to breathe for at least even 60 seconds, 65, you're going to have really difficulty, right? And that speaks to how important and significant breathing is for us, right? And uh, breathing is connected to our nervous system and to literally everything that we do, right? If you look at the Latin language, inspirar means to breathe in, inspirar. And inspiration is connected to breathing in the right breath, right? When, we, when we're inspired, our breathing changes. <sighs> we're inspired when we're in awe, when we're, you know, in a state of wonder. And these are all connected to being in flow as well from our previous conversation. And uh, expirar means to breathe out, but expire means also to die. Right, and so it just speaks to that if you expire, breathe out too much, and if you hold your breath too long, beyond everything possible, then that means that you die because um, that is how important breathing is for us as well, right? And so we can live life in either of two ways: we can let our surroundings and the situation and other people and our emotions determine how we breathe. And that can be erratic, confusing, without any structure or pattern. Or we can use breathing to influence our surroundings, our situations, our interactions, and everything that we do. Right? So breath work 
to me is understanding this connection between breathing and our life and then adding a sense of structure a balance to influence our nervous system to influence our heart rate to influence our brain to influence the quality and amount of oxygen that reaches our mitochondria so that we can have the energy to really thrive and 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 go beyond just survival and that's exactly what it is there are different breathing techniques there are different mechanisms there are different methods and there are different practices that allow us to influence our life in a meaningful and impactful way so that for me is breath work and obviously there are different types of breath work there are different techniques within breath work but broadly speaking that's what the umbrella of breath work is all about is about influencing the energy of us uh using these these practices amazing and this just a little spoiler alert here make sure you stay until the end because aditya is going to lead us through a mini breathwork session and he has a special gift for you guys as well so make sure you stick around to the end to, to to learn more so where do you find and how do you find breathwork actually helps you know in that in that moment and then also beyond how is it how how does it impact your life and the other people you you teach and empower to practice it on their own yeah so breath work uh, you know like you've implied is a spectrum different techniques and there are different types of sessions as well so for example in my group we do a sunday morning breath work awakening journey that's like a 90 minute you know session which includes breath work and some mantras some beautiful guided visualizations you're relaxing your whole body right but in that 90 minute session you get a reset for the whole week you feel much better but you can't do a 90 minute session every day maybe not at least for you know people who are homeowner like you know people who are uh, like parents or you know mothers or fathers might not be that practical so for okay, them okay thank you for acknowledging that right exactly <laughs> so then you might do like a 15 minute session you can do a 10 minute you can do a 5 minute session and you can do a 2 minute session as well and that is more like a reset you know like for example in the morning and i know some people have coffee and some people have given up coffee but then how do you get your brain and your body into a state of alertness a state of focus and that is opposite from you know what maybe traditionally people think about breath breath work is to relax sometimes you need to get your body to be alert sometimes you need to be in a more sympathetic dominant state maybe you're preparing for work or maybe you're create, preparing for a brainstorming session so then you would you're taking in more because when you breathe in your body goes into sympathetic dominance when you breathe out your body goes into parasympathetic so you can balance it in such a way right so that you so then your body will go to either sympathetic or parasympathetic so like i said so you're breathing in more a little bit more sympathetic but if you breathe in and then really nice and elongated exhales you're parasympathetic right but if you balance your breathe in and out so you're doing a 2 by 2 or a 4 by 4 that's when a beautiful state ha- is triggered which is called heart coherence right so uh what it is is and there's a lot of research done by the heart math institute usually the brain is at the center right the brain is giving instructions you know in terms of what we need to do or we not, not you know don't need to do some of it is voluntary some of it is involuntary but basically the brain is considered the seat of um, you know decision making and and functioning 
But uh, if you look at it, the heart is very similar to the brain. The heart does have, uh, I think it's neurons, if I'm not mistaken, but it's similar to the brain in terms of its structure, right? So when you're able to stimulate heart coherence, the seat, the center becomes the heart and not the brain. So the heart is then sending signals to the brain as opposed to the brain sending signals to the heart. And then the heart sends signals to our different body parts as well. And both you and me know that if we let our heart make decisions, we're going to be in a more symbiotic, mutually beneficial, heart-based you know, life and community. And that's where I think where our society needs to move towards is to use these practices and techniques so that we're making decisions not just based on our brain and logic and what's going to happen in the next one month or two months. That's great. I think data is useful to make great decisions, but also we need to include our heart in a decision-making procedure. And I feel breath work, heart coherence-based breath work is able to help us get there. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't already listen to the last episode, now this is your second reminder, just go back and listen to it because what yeah. you just said there about the this parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system about how breath work is like literally the activation and potential to rebalance that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's so powerful. And also I am very curious to get off this and Google heart math institute. <laughs> like what a, I love that. What a, what a combination. Yeah. Uh, so good. And it was really interesting to see how your different breaths, like I could literally feel the energy shift even in the room as you did more of the exhaling and really fascinating. Um, One of the things I notice, I mean, even just as I'm speaking right now, I can feel my body like wanting to yawn more, Mm -hmm. probably because I'm like so relaxed. So does that mean that I need to do, if I need more energy, I need to inhale more? Is that what that means? Oh, actually, one of my mentors, Dan Brule, very very, very intelligent, very wise breathwork teacher, he speaks highly about yawns. Mm. Yawn is actually a good thing. <sighs> right? Yawn can happen automatically, but you can induce a yawn as well. And Ooh. that really, you know. Is everybody yawning now listening, I bet? <laughs> you know? And yawn and sigh also. <sighs> you know, just letting go. And then shaking, including some shaking, mm. shaking your hands, right? Yeah. It has a way of boosting circulation stimulating your lymphatic system and then you're like you know very intuitively using all these different triggers like shaking and yawning and sighing and breathing elongating breaths and all of a sudden within two minutes you feel much more relaxed you feel reset as well oh so interesting so interesting because i'm like sitting here like oh i feel so rude yawning and that's like our society has taught us to like see it as a rude thing and uh, or like to really like cover it up but that's really interesting you know my um I have an incredible therapist too that I work with. Okay. And same thing, she always, when she sees me yawning, it's really interesting because when we we do some somatic work as well Mm. and we can always tell that we've kind of broken through a certain point when I start to yawn. Yeah. And it's just so fascinating because I feel like I grew up most of my life being told to stifle my yawns. Yeah. And being told like, cover your mouth, don't let people see, like that. Mm. So... I mean, that's just really cool. Really an interesting yeah. shift there. Yeah. Just, just to add, I think, uh, so my theory, and we I'm can totally go to other I'm totally just going to yawn over here, by the way. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I won't take that personally. Okay, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> so, there, you know, uh, the human spectrum, right? You have extremely young children, and then you have extremely old people. For some reason, I feel that we've lost on the knowledge and wisdom that comes from these extreme spectrums, right? And so... 
like you pointed out when we were in school when we yawn the teacher tells us right don't yawn it's 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 rude or maybe when we shake when we play and shake they said don't shake so much right it's rude guests your family members will not take it so seriously and also like even when it comes to food preferences right like sometimes a child doesn't want to have breakfast maybe like you have to have breakfast okay oh that was just alexa popping in <laughs> there what were we talking about <laughs> always listening <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even say anything controversial there i know huh. weird uh but yeah, this is the breakfast piece, right? Um, and sometimes children don't like milk, but then milk was forced down their throats, and now you come to know that you know some people might actually be allergic to milk, uh, intolerant to milk, right? And I think maybe when a child is saying something, maybe there's a there's a glimpse of truth into it, and maybe we need to research some more and then find out more information, right? So we're finding out all these I don't know truisms and and and, and things that people said were good for us maybe it's not so good for us maybe we need to listen to our body some more oh i i agree 100 percent. yeah yes that's you know we talked about that on the episode with danielle about relationship to food and Mm -hmm. like listening to ourselves and so true and and i believe that so much with children i mean if i think about my work as a coach and even my own journey and maybe you can relate to this like it it's been unlearning and relearning yeah. myself, like unlearning societal expectations, mm-hmm. including how to, that it's okay to yawn, uh, and relearning who I am and re-getting to know myself. And yeah. I look at my this opportunity to raise my daughter, and I, I'm doing it imperfectly. She'll probably listen to this and be like, "Mom, you mess all these things up." But um, just really, I do try and think about that because I believe we are born with more intuition and more knowing mm-hmm. than we give ourselves credit for, you know. And and um, yes, yeah, so it's such a such a gift. So what is the science behind breathwork say? Because there's some pretty, I mean, and you probably, I'm assuming to work in some of the organizations that you've gotten to work in or like, it's not just, and I don't even mean to discredit, but I feel like in our society, sometimes we almost like need that science to like, to believe Mm. it. Hopefully we're changing it. Um, But like, for example, Wim Hof has some, I've seen some of the stuff that's come out from him. He's probably one of the most well-known and kind of modern modern breathwork world yeah like some of his research is absolutely incredible around what they've been able to do with breathwork is there anything you know any particular pieces of science or data that you find really fascinating or that you find really impressive that you want to share yeah for sure um one of the things is i mean there are so much of science to to breathing for sure uh but if you look at um you know people living in high altitudes generally they tend to be more healthy they tend to live longer. And what they found is that they have much more red blood cells, right? And uh, there was a lot of research that was conducted by Russian scientists. This was back, I think, in the 1960s, maybe, when there was a Cold War going on. And what, what happened then is, the, you know, USA and Russia were in adversarial positions. So each one, you know, were getting their best doctors, best scientists to research and find out how they can have an upper edge what, had, what ended up happening was doctors in Russia and Ukraine did a lot of research. Uh, but unfortunately, because of the language barrier, it was not passed on to USA and maybe other parts of the world, right? And so what they did was, they, did was, they realized this thing, that people high, up high in, uh, in high altitudes do have that uh, biological advantage for one reason or the other. And they did a lot of testing and they found out, yes, that confirms it. They also noticed that when their fighter pilots spent a lot of time at high altitudes in the fighter jets, they did have those biological advantages. 
right, in terms of higher red blood cells. When you have higher red blood cells, you're able to carry more oxygen. We're able to carry more oxygen. Your mitochondria is able to get more oxygen, more energy. And this has like ripple effects on all aspects of your life. So they used to, that. so they were the ones who started oxygen training oxygen deprivation training where they used to create like machines or compartments which for a short period of time used to limit the amount of oxygen available and they used to wear those masks back in those days as well so you've seen like elite athletes and stuff like that they wear those masks and they do sprints right that's because to restrict the amount of oxygen because fascinating yeah so they want to induce what is called brief intermittent hypoxia uh, so brief intermittent hypoxia, uh, what it is basically is, um, so when we breathe in oxygen, right, just because we are taking in oxygen, it doesn't mean that the oxygen is actually getting into the mitochondria at the cellular level, right? So what tends to happen is when you breathe in, uh, the at a certain concentration, the oxygen binds with the hemoglobin. It sticks to the hemoglobin. And then that means if you breathe in too much, if you're over breathing, you're actually not getting energy. That's why when people hyperventilate, they feel very tired and drained and they feel scared in a way because they're over breathing and the oxygen is sticking to the hemoglobin. So how do you ensure that the oxygen actually reaches where it needs to, which is the mitochondria? That is by reducing the concentration between oxygen and carbon dioxide. Well, how do you do that? By holding your breath. Right, so that's one of the ways. Right. So what happens is when you hold your breath, your carbon dioxide volume or concentration increases. That reverses what happens, which is the oxygen unbinds from the hemoglobin and then goes to the mitochondria, producing energy. So that so that's one of the co- components of breath work, is at least yogic breath work. At a certain point, you hold your breath for a defined amount of time, and then you feel so energized, you feel so recharged. Because that's what's happening physiologically. Okay, so interesting. Right? I forgot the name of the... Oh, that's that's called the Bohr's Law, the Bohr's uh, Principle. So that's one thing that's happening. But there are so many other things that are happening. For example, now this is very interesting. Also, um, when the baby is in the womb, the amount of oxygen that is there in the womb is the same level that is there at the peak of Mount Everest. Okay, so very low oxygen. And we all know that the baby has access to stem cells in the womb. Now, there's a relationship between the proliferation of stem cells and the oxygen levels, right? Stem cells do not love high volumes of oxygen. So when the baby comes out of the body, the oxygen level automatically is very high. And so what ends up happening is, well, that people say that that is one of the most traumatic experiences one can experience is being born. Because it's, it's like you're in a very uh, peaceful, placid, perfect environment and all of a sudden you're pulled out of somewhere and there are people all around you laughing or making loud noises. You're not used to the high levels of, you're, you're adjusting. The lights. Right. And so in, a way, in many ways it's traumatic for the baby. But also what tends to happen is that the stem cells, which were enjoying their time, they don't like the high levels of oxygen. So then they go into the crevices of your body, into the, into, the, into the bones, the big bones, and they hide inside with a layer of RBC, red blood cells, covering them because they don't like oxygen. 
And so your ability to miraculously heal yourself using these stem cells, because as your listeners might or might not know, stem cells are very unique because they have the ability to multiply and replicate to form any types of cells. Your body needs nails, stem cells. Your body needs some you know, tissue to, re to be rebuilt and repaired, stem cells. If you have a high level of stem cells, and now the doctors are also trying to you know, take out stem cells at the, at, when the baby is born so that later on in life they can inject stem cells. But that's a very artificial way of doing it, right? What if you could at will induce the proliferation of stem cells naturally so that you can heal and you can repair your body? What if you, well, breathwork allows you to do that. And by holding your breath, you're for a short period of time inducing a low oxygen level in your blood. So then your stem cells automatically realize, wow, lockdown is over. And so they're able to go all across your body. Now, this is not me sharing this. You can actually see reports and peer-reviewed research by doctors to show the connectivity between stem cell proliferation and it's called brief intermittent hypoxia. Now, hypoxia is not good because that means uh, low oxygen for a long period of time. Brief intermittent hypoxia is like 45, 60 seconds, maybe maybe even two minutes as well. Like these deep divers are able to hold their breath for elongated periods of time. So when you stimulate brief intermittent hypoxia, that's the other thing that happens, stem cell proliferation, and which means healing. Wow. Right? So cool. I don't know if anybody else is listening and wishing they'd paid more attention in biology class, but yeah. <laughs> very, very, very cool. I feel so lucky to get to have this conversation with you right now because I just recently started getting into breath work in like November, so I'm very new to okay. it. But I've learned the power, I'm learning the power of it, and I just, yeah, I just, it's so cool to actually get to hear these things and, and, um, yeah, learn. So do you do you find, and I feel like I could probably ask you a million questions and I'll try not to, yeah. but like, it, do you, it does it matter whether you hold the breath on the inhale or the exhale? And what, like, because I'm assuming there's many, like you said, there's many different styles of breath work, different reasons we would do it. Yeah. You know, I my very limited understanding is that kind of what you said, like the amount that you inhale versus you exhale might be different. Yeah. Um, I've seen... Like the intention you're going with it, I guess, would be different. Yeah. Um, uh, I would guess if you hold the, the breath when you're on the inhale, when you still have air in your lungs, that would be different than after you've exhaled everything and then to hold. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah, it's different. Because the thing is, if you're trying to induce brief intermittent hypoxia, you want to be in a state where there is little or no oxygen in your body, right? So that means you've exhaled Exhale, everything hold. and then you're holding. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's what I've been doing and I yeah. do find it magical. Exhale hold is actually held, is more safe. So when it comes to breath work, it's the most important thing is set and setting. Just like when you do plant medicine, set and setting. The set is basically what you bring into the situation. Your background, your history, your allergies, your challenges, your block, your triggers, right? That's what you bring. Setting is what you come into. So that is the room, the energy, the ambience, the people that you're meditating with, the person who's holding space for you. Now, if you're missing out on each, any of these things, if you've got a history of health issues, schizophrenia, something like that, it might affect your breathwork journey as well. So that's why safety is like super important. And we always announce contraindications, you know, before we begin each journey, because there are so many different me medical conditions. For example, if you're pregnant, it's not recommended to hold your breath. 
Mm, you know? Okay, yeah. If you have heart conditions, if you've got a pacemaker installed, if you're full stomach, if, you have, if you're coming from all-you-can-eat sushi, uh, then breathwork is not recommended, right? There are so many different things to keep in mind that the person who's getting into the journey is fully safe. For example, if you're doing breathwork and somebody, your roommate shouts, it can, it can re-traumatize you. Because you're in a relaxed state. You don't know, right? You're in a different vibe and a different place altogether. Yeah. So just to answer your question, when you're exhale hold, it's safer. You can hold your breath for 45 seconds, 60 seconds. That's good. But inhale hold, I would only recommend very little, like 10 seconds, 15 seconds. That's it. Just release. Because you don't want the thing to get to your head. In fact, even when you're doing breath work, we recommend certain energetic locks to ensure that the you know you know your it doesn't go to your head because especially with people with uh, tinnitus uh, so one of the energetic locks we recommend is the neck lock so you exhale hold hold your breath and you gently tilt your head touching your chin almost till your sternum so this ensures that at least from the yogic standpoint the energy is locked into this container of your torso then you do the root lock as well. So basically you're uh, clenching and squeezing your pelvic floor muscles to ensure that the energy that you're trying to cultivate does not escape into the ground. And then there's a third lock, which is the Udhyana Bandha, which is the root, uh, the solar plexus lock. So what you're doing is you're gradually trying to visualize the energy and also you're bringing the energy up. And then up, 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 and it goes to, goes to the brain and then you release. Because if you look at it from a yogic standpoint, there's something called Kundalini energy. Kundalini energy is the dormant life force that resides at the base of everyone's spine. We understand that this energy is very powerful. That's why if you look at uh, mainstream media, pushing sex, sex narrative is so strong, right? Because it's a very powerful, and sex is, can be used to create, and it can be used to procreate, and it can be, it can be destructive force also, right? Sexual addiction, pornography, like those kinds of things. But the yogis knew that this energy is very powerful. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to transmute this very raw sexual energy into something that's more sublime, into a work of art, into a business, into something that's highly visionary, right? So that is what you're doing here. Taking the energy from the root, using these energetic locks, using breath work, using breath holds, and you're bringing it up into your brain. So that is sort of like a long way of explaining you know what happens during a breathwork session but to answer your question safety is is uh, totally number one priority and these energetic locks in a way ensure that you're safe very cool yeah. And I, yeah i love that i mean i don't know if, i'm very excited to get to the breathwork portion already yeah. i'm super excited to actually try it out with you and oh, i yeah. yeah it's so beautiful so powerful um i think i want to touch on one more thing before we talk about some of the other yeah. other pieces and other modalities but you've kind of talked about um, the journey and set and setting and even compared breath work to plant medicine, oh, yeah. which, you know, if you'd said this to me a couple months ago and I said it to a girlfriend, you know, that this can actually create a different like state of consciousness and that it can literally tr transform your mind just like alcohol or drugs can, yeah. Yeah. I would have been like, nah, no, I can't. It's just breathing. Yeah. <laughs> but like... I'm a believer, but like, what do you have to say about that in terms of like the journey and the altered state of consciousness? Mm. Like, what do you, what do you say to me if, 
or anybody else listening that's like, how do you create yeah. an altered state of consciousness? Like, how do you do that without alcohol or drugs? Without all, yeah, that's true. <clears throat> For anyone else that's a skeptic like I was, or just didn't really, didn't really understand it. I didn't really understand what the, what that all meant to an altered state of consciousness and how you can do that without altering something with a substance, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, you know, our ancient yogis and sages have experimented with a lot of things, right? Uh, they've experimented with the plant medicine and they've experimented with drugs and things. This is like thousands of years back when you had different types of plant medicine, especially in India, you had soma. The soma was a concoction, just like ayahuasca, where you, you know, mix different plants and you, you mix things and you drink it and you get high, you, you know? And so these were actually used at a certain point in order to connect with the gods and connect with the earth and the and nature, right? But at a certain point, according to tradition, what had happened was they realized that plant medicine is not a very sustainable method. And so that's when they devised things like breathwork, pranayam, and tantra in order to access these higher states of consciousness naturally. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, when you're breathing in, in this way, you are affecting your physiology, right? When you're, uh, um, you know, during your cyclical breaths, what's happening literally is that you are uh, inducing the oxygen to stick to your hemoglobin. If you remember that I shared earlier. Mm -hmm. So you're in a way restricting the oxygen going to your brain as well. But for a short period of time, not forever. Right, And so what tends to happen also when you restrict the oxygen uh, going to your very logical, you know, the most recent part of our human brain, you are shutting off, shutting off the part of your brain that is critical, that is yes and no, that is you're supposed to be doing this, you're not supposed to be. So when you're cutting off your supply to that part, you access higher states of consciousness automatically because you're connected with the world around you also and your body is also because the body is the ultimate pharmacy it is creating certain endocannabinoids it is creating certain endorphins it is creating this rush of adrenaline and so that's why at a chemical level as well you're able to access these beautiful states of consciousness now a lot of people say as well and i think for the most part it's true that when you uh, breathe in this way when you're using this very powerful mantras, when you are holding your breath, your brain does secrete DMT inside, maybe like a very small amount in your third eye. And that also helps you access these non-ordinary states of consciousness. Incredible. Yeah. So cool to hear. I just love how it all comes together, you know? Like yeah. I think um, it's really, the way I think we should be looking at it is that so many of these ancient tools, yeah. we are now just validating them with science That's it's true. not like science made them true they were true they were true all the, all the way yeah yeah oh incredible um okay last thing i want to ask you just if is there a certain style of breath work that you personally you know teach or prefer or do you do you mix it up like how does that mm -hmm. how does that work uh, I think for me these days, I am open to experimenting with different breathing techniques and styles. I don't think there's one style that's made for any one person. It depends on where you're at in your life and what you crave. So I would encourage everyone to try different things out, right? I don't like to be too prescriptive. 
but for me uh, i like the yogic style because it has been there for thousands of years it's tried and tested right and so for my breathwork journeys usually there are a couple of components one is uh you know you start breathing in cycles and since i'm a soma breath instructor soma talks a lot about breathing in beats so then there's a beat there's a brain wave music and you're breathing synchronized to those beats what happens when you breathe in beats is once again you stimulate the heart coherence your heart becomes the center of your body it's not your brain your heart is sending these very beautiful relaxing responses across to your beat it's almost as if your heart is listening to a philharmonic orchestra that's what happens so you're breathing in beats very nicely inhale through the nose uh, exhale through the mouth okay and then at a certain point you are hold, uh, holding your breath you get into the uh, breath holds breathe in breathe out hold the breath see how long you can hold then breathe in hold 15 20 seconds let go then you do some mantras when you do mantras you're vibrating your whole body you're stimulating parasympathetic you're toning your vagus nerve that's one round you do the second round third round and you mix different breathing styles 4 by 4 4 by 8 2 by 2 you know things like that so that depends on who's host who's holding space and what he feels intuitively he or she feels is required by the group like in my case a lot of times i don't pre write the uh, guided journey i'll be like you know this is what i sense the group needs right now and this is and invariably the group also says you know this is what i needed this is this is the word that you said at this point and this what triggered a state of deep you know resonance or or bliss within me and so yeah that's that's what i'd like to share <laughs> amazing okay and we're all going to get a sample of it a little yeah. bit of it uh at the end so stay tuned okay Um let's talk about flotation tanks. Mm. For those that don't know, flotation tanks, uh there's some in Vancouver. We both go to Float House, so yeah. shout out to them. Um flotation tanks, I can I should have looked up the stats on this. Like I don't know if you know how many. It's like a lot of salt. It's a whole lot of salt yeah. in a tank yeah. and you float. <laughs> and uh I'm curious, you know, why why do you float? What got you into it and mm-hmm. what do you what do you find the benefits of it are? Oh yeah, totally. Uh I think all of these things with its breath work or even floating are connected to uh the consciousness uh emergence or this revolution that happened in the west. I think this happened sometime in the 60s where there was I think there was a cold war, right? There was the Vietnam war and there was a general distrust in the government like what's happening right now. People didn't want you know com- you know countries spending so much of money on wars and things like that right so there was a general distrust and people were looking for something different and i think that's when you know the beatles came to india <laughs> they learned about yoga meditation right and jimi hendrix and all the other uh, musicians were also experimenting with lsd mm. because some of these scientists discovered lsd and they were like wow what's happening they were studying what are the effects of lsd like the you know consciousness expansion profound states of being all wonder serendipity synchronicity and what that you know if we, if you do this what's going you know what what are the gifts that are there to unlock 
and so uh, i think at a certain point the government as usual banned lsd right because they don't want people to expand their minds they don't want people to be free and 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 um full of liberty i think there was this one guy who uh, filled his truck with lsd do you know about that no no you know? no no this there was one crazy guy so he uh, he had this van you know he colored the van like psychedelic you know flowers and stuff like that and he filled his uh, his van with lsd and he went from city to city town to town distributing free lsd so that people could get high right so this was in america yeah in the 70s not so i think maybe 60s if i'm not mistaken okay. but that that period so there was a lot of uh, consciousness development a lot of people getting interested in meditation yoga from and all these indian gurus coming from <clears throat> coming from india and and and, sh- and sharing their wisdom as well right and so when lsd was banned so these people were the scientists were like how do we figure things out how do we how do we access these states of consciousness without lsd and so that is where they were, that's where, that's where the flotation concept came into being where they were like what if because they had heard about you know these ancient monks and and sadhus and that's one of my new episodes also where i interviewed a a qigong master who spent a hundred days in darkness hundred days now in in the flotation tank we're like 75 minutes right yeah in the dark and that has a profound effect he was a hundred days in one of the cellars beneath the monastery with darkness but also no food like for the most part water wow <laughs> and imagine when he came out he was like totally disoriented but he had a he had a guru that he was working with who used to come in the evening every day and he used to give them three dates three date you know the small dates for the whole day and so that was a journey by itself so it was really fascinating but that was that's what the flotation tank does is when we deprive our our senses of the darkness of sensation of smell i think the body goes into a state of uh, confusion sometimes and that uh, has the effect of maybe stimulating dmt or maybe certain other chemicals that make us feel these profound states of bliss and that's how i was drawn into it because i w- i had heard about it a lot right on my podcast and i've be- i've been meaning to try it out so I tried it out last year maybe towards August and I've been doing at least once in a month maybe twice uh, so far and it's it's a great experience you know you get better and better at it in terms of figuring out what position what movement is best for you and uh, also like music with music without music and what are you going to visualize so there's a lot of experimenting that you can do and I find that it's it's a good bonding session also like for me if i want to meet a guest or if i want to have a shared moment with a guest or somebody that i want to work with this let's let's do a float instead of the conventional let's have a beer right yeah let's have a float or let's go for a coffee yeah or a coffee right yeah. let's have a, let's have a cold exposure something like that yeah yeah so good i i agree i i really enjoy the floating and i think oh, yeah. it is something you get better and better at the first time i did it i was pregnant which was a really cool experience cuz it felt like I was experiencing what my daughter was would have been experiencing in right. me. Yeah. So it was really 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 cool and it just yeah. yeah, it's definitely something if you haven't had a chance to try it. They're and they're all over now. Yeah. Uh we just happened to go to the one in in Gastown in Vancouver Float House. But there was lots of them and I, yeah, I would recommend it. You recommend it. Um Yeah. You also were talking about your problem solving methodology. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned that. Do you, do you use floating for problem solving? Yeah. You know there's this book 
I mean, this is not a new concept. A lot of, uh, you know, scientists and geniuses in the past would tap into their intuition, would tap into their collective mind in, in terms of solving problems. I know for a fact that Albert Einstein used to do that as well. And also uh, Leonardo da Vinci also used to do that as well. So they would like have a problem in their mind, define the problem, set the intention for solving it. They would go to sleep, morning, boom. More often than not, they have the solution. For, so for me, it is our, like, our limited minds are here, between our ears. And that can solve a lot of problems. But our higher mind, our collective intuition, that's where the real problem solving comes into play because if we're able to tap into so much more data, it's like small data versus big data. Right, the cloud computing is so much more powerful, right? So I was reminded of this idea because I had read it in the past, but I was reminded it, reminded of this idea by the recent book by uh, Stephen Kotler. He's a proponent of flow as well. I forgot what the name of the book is for some reason, um, but somebody can search Stephen Kotler and can uh, come across it. But so he sort of reading his book reminded me of trying this out with float. So set the intention right and i think the question that i asked was you know what is the highest and best use of myself my what is my actual purpose right and so i went in just a really casual problem solving question isn't it <laughs> some problems that cannot it's like be your solved. average tuesday question yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly so i i went in i went into the float came out and i got some really great ideas which i probably would not have been able to come up with myself because I think when you tap into your uh, unconscious as well as you know these states you're able to tap into your you know conscious self but also your dream state as well as what is in the ethers so to speak oh super cool I hope that we want to get to the place where it's just yeah. so these kind of things are really common like yeah, so amazing because yeah. it just it's a different way of rather than just like brainstorming or going I over know. metrics and data like it's just a it's a different way of accessing information that I hope yeah. you know, maybe one day instead of uh, the beer kegs and the ping pong tables there'll be flotation tanks of some of the cool startups I bet, yeah. you, I bet you we'll see that. I bet That's you we'll start to see that change. Probably going to happen soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so how about um, Qigong and movement? Uh, I don't know. I, I know a tiny little bit about Qigong. Mm -hmm. Tell me tell me more. <laughs> what is it? Uh, how, like, should we literally just look up a YouTube video? How do you, yeah. how do you practice it? Yeah. I think uh, Qigong is a... Is, is, a, is a practice slash way of life as well. It's a philosophy also. And um, this has influences, multiple influences. One is Qigong actually is influenced from India, a large part of Qigong. I didn't know it myself. As well as it has influenced some Taoism, which is Chinese based, right? So Qigong basically is a practice where you do these gentle movements and flows that help you tap into a state of flow or a state of bliss and has numerous science-backed benefits for your body. So what you're doing basically in Qigong is that you're uh, blending your visualization with movement, with breathing. So, so, And when you do that, you're able to cultivate your inner energy, right? And, and, and the uh, um, implications are numerous from the physical karate Taekwondo to the more to medical Qigong there's medical Qigong as well that has numerous benefits 
there is spiritual jigong also which is more about the Tao and the universe and your sense of purpose so there are so many different interpretations now Qigong uh, like it's such a big topic overall like some of the Taoist mo- uh, monks and Qigong masters are able to literally use their fingers to zap electricity into you <laughs> that's true it's crazy wow. and you can tell like elderly people can use Qigong to live longer as well and you see in China right like 10 20 really old people they might look old, but they're actually maybe over 100 as well because they have tapped into Qigong and they've tapped into a sense of flow and flexibility because just because you're old, just because you managed to live till 100, it doesn't mean you're really healthy, right? But these people are really flexible, really nimble, and I'm sure very wise also. Yes, so. I can I can visualize that. I've spent quite a bit of time in China over the years. Yeah, okay. And I can just, there's always like the villages, the, you know, the kind of hub where these communities come together. Yeah. And there's always the people playing mahjong. And then there's always yeah. the people that are doing qigong. And right. I always, it's so beautiful. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting chills even just thinking about it because it's such a, it's just so powerful, like community, right? Community and togetherness and practice, oh. like just, yeah, just really cool. I'm sure we could do like a whole other episode on Qigong. What would you say if somebody wanted to get started? Like what would a starting place be for practicing Qigong? Is it uh, a certain, you know, resource or for somebody that you've started with? Or like how do you, how, how does someone start with Qigong? Oh, okay. With the exact, because since we're not, we're not able to go to China and just join yeah. uh, join the wise elders in the square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you how I got started in Qigong. And my practice has been on and off. I'm, you know, I don't practice Qigong every day. It's more of an intuitive thing for me. I got, I got, I got into Qigong, uh, I think I would say, well, I started my fascination somewhere in 2010, 2011. Sometime in 2000, maybe <clears throat> 14, 14-ish. Um, like with Qigong, I feel, even with yoga, it's just not about the practice. You need to have a connection with the master or guru. Somebody who you come across and something about their energy really speaks to you and then you start practicing, right? If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think I think here's where the court, when the student is ready, the master will appear, really makes sense. Like you might come across meditation all your life. You're not interested. It doesn't speak to you. When you come, to, come across one person, you're like, boom, this is it. I'm ready. Right? Yeah. I, I, I think that can translate to anything in life, right? Yeah. Like real estate wisdom as well, right? You might, you, like, sure, you're living in Vancouver, which is the best place for real estate. But then you come across as one mentor or person, boom, that makes sense. I'm ready, right? So in the same way, I came across this individual called uh, Gary Garapoli, Robert Garapoli, his name is. And he uh, he's an American. But he spent a lot of years studying with Chinese masters, Taoist masters, Qigong masters. And for some reason or the other, he and his wife, I'm not sure if they're still husband and wife, but um, they used to do these beautiful Qigong moves, right? And I used to just follow them. And I, I, I loved every st- single practice that I used to do. And for me, it was a great compliment to yoga and breath work because it does something different to you. When you're using movement and breathing and visualization, and you feel so relaxed and blissed after that. And so I ended up doing a lot of these practices. But somewhere down the line, I think, you know, Gary, Gary Poli, he just disappeared off the internet. And that ha- tends to happen with a lot of these masters, a lot of these practitioners. All right. 
and then recently i i i came across this video again and i was like so amazed right that he's back on the internet into webs and i contacted him and i reached out to him uh but yeah you'll find like especially with qigong or yoga sometimes you have people and they just disappear off the face of the planet you don't know where they are and then they come back again it's almost mystical like gandalf from the lord of the rings yeah. that is so fascinating because i can so i i want to pull out I'll tell you my story and then I want to pull out one other thing that you said yeah. there. So I have been really interested in breathwork for a long time. Yeah. And I'd heard about Wim Hof and I would look up, I would Google, I would go to YouTube and I'd look up Wim Hof breathing. Yeah. And I, you know, I probably did it, I don't know. I've been doing cold, I've been doing cold um, exposure for probably three years, just about, maybe even right. almost four, like a while. Yeah. And every time I looked it up, I go find nothing. And I was like, I just want to find like, where is the guidedness? Like, how do I do this? What? Right. Never could find it. In November, I had a, a um, we were about to do a cold ocean swim, me and a, a couple of friends. And my friend had mentioned the day before, he was like, I'm going to do the Wim Hof breathing. And mm. I was like, I was like, oh, great. Like, I, another thing I don't know how to do, you know, like I just, yeah. and I looked it up and it appeared for the first time in YouTube. Right. And it's like the weirdest thing because I've looked it up numerous times over the years and always wondered like, how do people know the Wim Hof method? Because okay. it never comes up for me. Yeah. It never showed up as like a... Right. And it was just so interesting. Like just that, uh, uh, yeah. that like things disappear and then like... Just disappear and it's like, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a fundamental nature of consciousness. I don't know how it works, but it's sort of like a dial, you know, like things disappear and appear in consciousness. It's very mystical also. And through my interview with this Qigong master, I've, I found a lot of mystical things. Like a normal person would listen to that interview and totally dismiss it. Because there's a magic that is involved with certain, you know, uh, masters and, and practitioners. It's crazy how they are able to tap into um, the unseen realm, so to speak, through their practice, through breath work, through Qigong. Right? It's fascinating. But to answer your previous question, how did they get started? I would definitely ask them to search for Gary Garapoli, Robert Garapoli, um, or uh, Robert Peng, who's who's the guy who I interviewed in my recent interview. Wonderful. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah. And I also, what I wanted to pull out was just the part around like listening to your int intuition around it too, mm. and uh, yeah. and seeing what comes up. I think that's a valuable, probably valuable piece of wisdom for anything that we're talking about. And have you watched the movie Doctor Strange? No. What's it called? Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange. No. No. Well, he's a uh, he's one of the characters in the Avengers, right? Okay, I'm not is. cool. I don't know a lot of movies and TV yeah. shows. <laughs> yeah, but watch that Doctor Strange. It's I think it was released in 2017, okay. 2018. But a lot of what Hollywood is showing, they're drawing from traditions that already exist. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So. Okay, that brings up a question yeah. that we did not talk about ahead of time. And mm. I also recognize it's a sensitive question. Yeah. So if this never makes it to air, it's because we've decided okay. not to go there and that's totally okay. Okay. I want to know what your thoughts and perspectives are around the cultural appropriation of these practices mm. and about the idea that these have been philosophies for a very long time. And I, like I'm a white woman asking these questions and I want to be you know respectful of the fact that there's other cultures that created this right and for so long and even continuing still to this day there yeah. are still egregious uh, 
these methodologies are still not being necessarily respected or yeah. honored or accredited. Yeah. Um, there's been, there's so much hi- history of racism, of war, of, yeah. of othering people for these practices. Yeah. And then now there's a shift, which, which I think collectively we need to have a shift. Yeah. But also like the other side of that is that it can also be potentially, what's the word? Like extorting or, right. um, uh, exploiting. Yeah. The very people who have had this wisdom, who have had these practices and were perhaps uh, excluded from society because of it or were mm. looked down upon for it. And now that it's cool, you know, yeah. oh, we're taking it. And I, I just want to know what your, what's your what's your feeling on that? Where, where right. do you how do we? Yeah. What do you think? And also, like, how do we consciously? Yeah step into this without yeah. further exploitation yeah. or othering or um, separation? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And to be honest, I've, I've, I've heard and read a lot about it as well, right? Cultural appropriation, right? I think uh, a lot has been appropriated in the past and that's something we cannot really control, right? Uh, sometimes uh, people set up narratives that are very us versus them. For me, it is not about where you're from because you can be an American and still be really respectful and, uh, you know, just uh, supportive of the tradition of yoga and Vedanta and Tantra. And you can be Indian and still, like, largely largely reject. So it's not about us versus them. At the end of the day, what I'd like to see more of is more diversity basically, you know, like more inclusiveness so that whether the event is taking place in New York or for that matter, India or even Vancouver, you include people of all spectrums of society, whether the person is Indian or, you know, Canadian or American or whether the person is young or old. If you're able to go toward that place, that would be for me a win rather than saying, you know, uh, this is appropriation. That is because I'm wearing trousers right now. I'm wearing a shirt. That is, right, uh, largely European, if you think about it. And so I think that if you go down, down that route for me is, you know, then it's all, all, all about playing the blame game, right? Hey, well, how come you're wearing a shirt and pants? How come you're wearing a tie, right? And somebody says, you're not supposed to wear a dreadlock. Then it's like, you're always pointing blame on the other person because it never ends. I think at the end of the day, if you're not hurting sentiments, uh, that's a good start. And also taking time to understand the origins while at the same time really uh, sensing into what the ultimate goal for this is and how we can support each other. Do do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that really deeply. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And also like I, yeah, yes. I mean, it's such a hard... I don't want to say hard. It's just like a space that I'm just trying to lean into and listen yeah. and understand more than speak. Yeah. And so I really appreciate you throwing me with me, just throwing that question at you, um, yeah, and and your and your just graciousness around it. And that's um, a lot of the similar sentiment that I've heard that I feel as well um, that I've experienced. That if there's, it can be done in a really open yeah. respectful curious way that pays homage to where this came from that understands the tradition and the exactly. purpose and the intention 
and that we're doing it in a way that doesn't like then exclude those people all mm. over again but we're actually bringing exactly. people together yeah that we are because I, I believe like that's the future right it's it's not the us versus them it was yeah. it never it never was us exactly. versus them yeah it's still not us versus them yeah. whatever that even means whatever whoever us is whoever them is mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's about bringing us together, and to do that, I do think there's probably also some healing that needs to happen. Exactly. Um, on all levels, I believe that there's also just like we have to be willing and 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 curious. And I think most people are like most people want to know. Yeah. Where like what is this? Where did this come from? And like exactly. what is the history of it? And and yeah. re- and bring respect to that. So. Yeah, one hundred percent. And also just to add, the, uh, there are a lot of really notable experienced heart-based people based out of america who have like you point out taken the intention taken the time taken the respect to really learn about yoga and ayurveda and tantra like for example dr david frawley is one person have you heard of him no i haven't yeah he's an american okay but he changed his name and he's been i think he's living in america but he spent a lot of time in india also and he's one of the strongest proponents of uh, of yoga, Vedanta Tantra, like the way it was taught. Dr. David Frawley, highly respected. And there are a lot of other people also that are uh, championing the cause of spreading yoga and meditation the way it was supposed to be, in a way that is diverse, inclusive, and heart-based. At the end of the day, it's it's not very verbal, right? This is heart-based. And people can sense into it. So that is, you know, that is where I'm coming from. But sometimes... You know, when corporates are just exploiting it for the sake of it, just to, I mean, there's nothing wrong in profit and loss, but just for the sake of it, at the expense of the traditions, that's when people, I think, have problems. But but if we can, you know, uh, come together and look at the intention for, you know, for the practice, I think. Like for us also, just to add, like a lot of Indians are also very disconnected with our own roots because of what happened due to colonialism, colonization, right uh, there were like a lot of practices and systemic right um, techniques that were used to disassociate indians itself from things like yoga meditation and and religion also and over the years we had not right now but we had developed uh, a resentment towards our own indigenous practices and i think that happened in canada as well right so I think there's a there's a collective healing that's going on as we realize, oh wow, you know we had a treasure all the while, and we had some amazing people as well, right? So I think while that has happened, the whole world is healing in one way or the other, right? So that's why this can be such a complex topic to navigate, and and I totally appreciate you for sharing this. So, uh, but, but I think the more you know, we 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 share the practice together. That's when we can draw upon this collective wisdom, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I I feel that and yeah. appreciate that. And yeah, yeah if they, I think most people really want to be inclusive and respectful, yeah. and it's really, uh, you know, can be challenging to navigate because of the history and yeah. all things that are really valid hurts that that deserve to be healed so yeah i appreciate your openness and really deeply appreciate you sharing your perspective and also like sharing the magic that you have with us you know for your culture your practice everything it's we're so blessed to get to be a part of it so 
Thank you. Thank you. Likewise, it was really nice to, you know, chat with you. And oh, I'm every not done time yet. I, I got a, a few more questions. No, no, I know, no, <laughs> I know. I'm just saying. Every time I chat with you, I learn something new. So it's really been nice to to get to know you and know you even more now. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. Right, right yeah, back yeah, at yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait, you can't go yet. I'm just no. okay. Well, I promise we'll, we'll keep it moving. Okay, okay. As you can hear, Aditya and I get into a lot of deep conversations, and we talked about a lot of powerful modalities, including breathwork yawning i mean who knew that the power of inter brief intermittent hypoxia holding your breath and creating altered state of consciousness through floating qigong and how we can all move forward respectfully and consciously with these practices join in for the next episode it's gonna be the third and the last one with aditya number 68 um, in the next episode we're gonna even explore more modalities including vedanta ayurvedic oil baths and cold exposure one of the things I love the most about Aditya is his ability to blend grounded spirituality with tangible examples, science, biology, and neurosciences to explain why these practices work on a head, heart, and soul level. And you'll hear him continue to do that in the last episode. Oh, and we talk about just some little things like what is our purpose here on earth? How do our guides and ancestors show up in life? And a whole lot more deep and beautiful spiritual richness. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out the next episode for some beautiful breathwork, an opportunity to join into Aditya's breathwork sessions for free as a thank you for being here. Big love, my friend, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. If something spoke to you, send me a message by sharing this episode and tagging me on social media. If you know someone who would love to hear this episode, please share it with them too. Because I love surprises, make sure you subscribe to the Golden Girls podcast today. It's the only way to find out about bonus surprise episodes and make sure you don't miss a single beat on your golden journey. Thanks again for listening and I will talk to you in the next episode of the Golden Girls podcast.